Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Is today a good day? All I heard was a cough. That's all I got. (laughs) Is today a good day? Why, why is today a good day? Because we have a good God. Because we have a good God, right? I mean, your day may not be going really super well because there's tough stuff in this world. There's tough stuff happening today. There's tough stuff happening in our own backyards. There's tough stuff happening all over the place. But today is a good day because we have a good God. And he's not surprised by anything that's happening. He's meeting us in the middle of the difficulty. He is moving his kingdom forward, and we are partnering with him actively in doing it. So today is a good day. Well, I remember when I was in youth group, and that was a couple of days ago. But when I was in youth group, I I was talking to somebody the other day, and I was like uh, talking about when I used to build trusses in California. And I said, well, that was like over 20 years ago. And Farrell said, you're not that old yet. It wasn't quite over 20 years ago, but it was like, no, I said 30. I said it was over 30 years ago, over 30 years ago. And she said, it's not quite that. It is over 20 years ago that I did that. I guess I am that old. But anyhow, it was like 30 years ago that I was in youth group, though. So when I was in youth group, I had a youth pastor, and he was a fantastic youth pastor. He's actually the guy that that helped encourage me to, to get into ministry, uh, which has worked out so far. Uh, and uh, he was giving an illustration one night. And here's the illustration. He asked the question, have you ever heard of glovey dirt? Glovey dirt. And, uh, and he did something like this. He said, I've got my work gloves up here. And uh, these are, I mean, these are my work gloves, not his, but these are the work gloves I use in my backyard when I'm doing anything. If I'm working with wood or working with the dirt or doing, doing any kind of cleanup or anything like that, I use these work gloves. So they get all kinds of messy. Now, no matter how much I work in the dirt and the grime in my backyard, none of that dirt and grime becomes glovey. The only thing that happens is that my gloves become dirty. There's no such thing as glovey dirt. There's only dirty gloves. Now, my youth pastor shared this illustration with me in an attempt to to encourage me to be careful with who I hung out with. He would say, be careful who you hang out with because there's no such thing as glovey dirt, only dirty gloves. Now, my youth pastor had good intentions. And as adults, of course, we're concerned with the influence of people or or other kids on our kids. As a parent, I'm concerned with who my kids are hanging out with. I'm concerned about the influence my kids, uh, other kids are having on my kids. Certainly, I want my kids to hang out with people that will be good friends to them. And there's a passage of scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, that says this, bad company corrupts good character. And so we all understand that. But the story of glovey dirt lands in a funny place for me as I think it through. It's not so cut and dry as it may seem. In the illustration, in the illustration, I was the glove and my friends were the dirt. Like, 
And by hanging out with them, I was getting dirty, and that was a bad thing. And so the obvious conclusion was for me to stop hanging out with my dirty friends. Ugh. Doesn't that land a little funny? I think it lands a little funny. If it does, keep on listening. Keep listening. Did anyone notice the title of the sermon today? We're in the middle of our Be Like Jesus series, and today we're focusing on Be Like Jesus, a glutton, and a drunk. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> okay. I know my wife was like, I don't like that. <laughs> I was like, well, yep. It should hit a little funny. That should hit a little funny. I'm assuming that you guys are a little bit quieter because it's hitting a little funny, and that's okay. Keep listening, though, because I didn't just come up with this title. It's in the Bible. Look here at our passage for today. In Luke chapter 7, here's Jesus speaking. Jesus says this, John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees here. He says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was known by at least the religious elite as a glutton and a drunkard. Now, this mockery, of course, is not a self-imposed nickname for Jesus. Jesus is quoting the religious elite here. They are the ones who call Jesus a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So, so let's look into this a little bit more. Let's look into this. The, the religious elite would have liked this illustration about glovey dirt. They rightfully cautioned their people away from touching people and things that might be detrimental to them. There was a constant battle that went on against becoming dirty by touching dirty things around them. In fact, there's many Old Testament laws forbidding someone from touching something that was dirty or unclean because if people touched unclean things, they would become unclean as well. Some of these laws were put in place to protect people from unseen things like bacteria and diseases, and some of the rules are put in there for ceremonial or symbolic reasons. There are several examples of these cleanliness laws, but I want to draw your attention to just three of them. The law said that if you touch a leper, not a leopard, a leper, a leper, a woman while she is having her monthly period, or a dead body, you would become unclean. In fact, if you were a leper or a woman going through that, you were considered unclean. Now, we can understand why you shouldn't touch a a leper in in this time, because there were different types of leprosy, and some of them were contagious. So this law was to protect the, the spread of this contagion. And we can understand about touch, not touching a dead body because back then they didn't understand bacteria and some of that kind of stuff and the possibility of those things being transferred from the dead body. The one about not touching a woman during that time of the month, well, that had a whole lot to do around ceremony and symbolism and not actual bacteria and those type of things. And we're not going to get into all those things here, but for our purposes today, From the Old Testament perspective, there were a lot of things 
that you would consider you would be considered unclean for either being or touching. So the religious elite cautioned their people to not touch unclean things or people. With those three things in mind, the examples of the leper, the woman, and the dead body, let's look at three stories about Jesus. First, let's look at a passage out of Mark chapter 1, verse 40. Here's the passage. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Now, in Jesus' day, a leper was an unclean outcast who had to live outside of the city limits in leper colonies, far away from anybody else who was considered clean. And in order to, to keep his uncleanness from sullying a clean person, a leper had to announce their presence wherever they went. So everywhere a leper went, they had to scream out constantly, unclean, unclean, unclean. So everybody else that was in their vicinity would not turn around a corner and run into a leper, would not come around a tree and find a leper. The leper was supposed to tell everyone who they were. I am unclean. Stay away. I'm unclean. Now, coming close to Jesus and his disciples... Falling on his knees in front of Jesus and even speaking to Jesus were all against religious law. The leper should not have been in the position that he was in on this day. The behavior of the leper in the first part of this passage is certainly shocking. But even more shocking is the behavior of Jesus in the second part of this passage. Now, Jesus could have, and certainly had on other occasions, healed people from a distance. If you guys remember some of the stories, Jesus, Jesus healed people he couldn't even see. He said, oh, don't worry about it. They're healed. They're good. They're not dead. They're alive. And the person was alive. So Jesus could have certainly done this, healed from a distance with a word. But in this case, Jesus touches the leper to heal him. Jesus touches the leper. Now, everyone watching this would have known immediately that if Jesus has touched a leper, Jesus would be unclean. But no, that's not what happens. The leper becomes clean. Not just healed, but clean. What normally happened in this scenario would be that the leper and the toucher would both become unclean. But there's something different about Jesus. When Jesus shows up, the unclean becomes clean. The dirt becomes glovey. Look at another example from Mark chapter 5. A large crowd followed and pressed around Jesus, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. So she falls under that category, that example that I gave you earlier. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. What a crazy thought. 
Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So here is a woman who suffered from, for 12 years with bleeding, which put her into that category of unclean. In those 12 years, she sought out doctors who did nothing to help her. In fact, she got better. She got, she got worse. 12 years of suffering, and, and here she is in a crowded area, which would have been a huge no-no. She should not have been in a marketplace. She should not have been around anybody else. She should have been staying in her room all by herself, isolated and set apart, not seeing anybody unless she makes them unclean. But she's here, hoping. It says she, she thought, if I can touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. Not just healed, but her uncleanness would go away. And so she creeps up on him, ducking and, and hiding and covertly approaching, holding her breath, hoping against hope to just just to catch up to Jesus and grab his garment. You can imagine the scene, the, the, the way it's, it's laid out for us. There's almost no room. Everybody shoulder to shoulder bumping into Jesus. So she must have pushed past people, pushed past, gotten up close enough to him to just reach out between the legs of other people and just grab onto his hem. And when she does, Jesus doesn't become unclean. Power goes out from Jesus, and she's healed. She becomes clean. And Jesus finds her. He looks around for her. He knows something has happened. And he finds her, and, and the passage says, trembling with fear. Trembling with fear, she confesses everything to Jesus. Why was she trembling with fear? Because she knew that what she had just done was punishable. She was not supposed to be in this place, spreading her uncleanness around. But, but Jesus turns to her, and she doesn't know what to expect. Is he going to yell at her? Is he going to condemn her? Is he going to do what would be called for in the law? What is he going to do? And he just says to her, daughter. Do you, do, can you think about how fantastic that word would be for someone who's expecting punishment? No condemnation, no punishment. Her uncleanness did not make Jesus unclean. She became clean. Daughter, be freed from your suffering. Be glovy. One more passage. Just a few paragraphs before, before the passage, our central passage for today, where Jesus is called a glutton and drunkard, just a few paragraphs before that passage, we find this in Luke chapter 7. Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. 
and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the stretcher they were carrying him on, and the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Now, most Jewish people would have stayed away from this scene. Now, it says there was a crowd there, and there were some people carrying the stretcher, but there was a realization if you played this role for somebody, if you helped in carrying a dead body, if you helped in this procession, you would become unclean. But many were willing to do that out of compassion for the person who is the, the, the mother or the widow or the mourner. So people would do this, but certainly no religious people would have been close enough to even pick, touch this body. Certainly not. For a rabbi, for a rabbi like Jesus to, to come anywhere near this was almost unheard of because it would make them unclean. But Jesus, when he touched the dead body, no uncleanness traveled up his arm. No death could infect Jesus. No, in, in fact, death fled the scene. Life came from Jesus and infected this dead body. Life poured into this man from Jesus. Jesus did not become unclean. This young man became alive, glovey in all of his glory. Now, at the end of this story, Jesus begins speaking about John the baptizer. There's this beautiful segue. As Jesus does this, the people go, what an amazing prophet this is. And then Jesus begins talking about John the Baptist, who was a prophet. Now, John the baptizer, he was an ascetic. Uh, what that means is that he was a guy who, who did stuff way differently than the people around them. For religious purposes, he, he stayed and lived in the wilderness away from people. He drank no fermented drink. He ate only locusts and wild honey. He was a bit of a wild man wearing scratchy clothes made from camel's hair. He never cut his own hair, so he'd have this long, crazy, probably dreaded hair. He did all this to devote himself to God. John the baptizer was the kind of guy that you would picture when you picture those strange, wild, holy men that live on top of mountains. That was John the baptizer. He was the opposite of Jesus in a lot of ways because Jesus lived among the people. Jesus attended the best parties and the worst parties. He drank wine and he ate bread. He was someone you would happily invite into your house for a good time. If you were looking to have a party, you'd go, let's invite Jesus. He's so fun. He does such crazy stuff. Bring him over. That'll be really fun. We will never run out of wine. It'll be so great. He was super likable. Jesus looked like your average everyday guy. There was nothing in the Old Testament even, the prophecy, there was nothing about his appearance that set him apart from anybody else. He looked like your average Middle Eastern man. He didn't wear weird clothes. He probably kept his hair and his beard clean. He was probably just like a normal guy. There was one thing, though, that made Jesus weird. One thing that stood out about Jesus is that he hung out with everybody. He hung out with everybody. Jesus ate in the homes of religious leaders. He ate in the homes of tax collectors. 
He spoke to centurions and prostitutes. He, he encourages rabbis and Samaritans. He healed the elderly and he healed children. He just hung out with everyone who was willing to hang out with him. He was just always around. Jesus was truly a friend of the holy and sinner, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Just a few chapters before this passage in Luke chapter 5, the religious elite ask this question, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered him, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The crazy thing about this answer is that the religious elite are like, oh, you're going to the sick. And Jesus is also referring about them, referring to them. They also were sick, but they couldn't see it. Now, John and Jesus, though, were very different people. Their messages completely aligned with each other. It was the same message about the kingdom of God. They were both preaching the same stuff. And both of them came against the religious leaders of the time. And while John the Baptist was critiqued for his lack of eating and drinking, Jesus was just as critiqued for his eating and drinking, and especially for the fact that he hung out with tax collectors and sinners. And this is where we come to our passage for today. Luke 7, John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus' point here is that it didn't matter. John wasn't doing all the things. I am doing all the things. Neither one of us do you listen to. Both of us are preaching the same stuff. Jesus was seen by the religious elite as unclean by association. But as we have seen here, when Jesus came into contact with the so-called unclean, he did not become unclean. Rather, by being with Jesus, people became clean, forgiven, set apart. The dirt of this world, which includes all of us, became glovey. Now, you and I have seen people who have become corrupted by the people they hang out with. Yeah, we've seen that. That's a reality. And that passage from 1 Corinthians 15 that says, bad company corrupts good character, it's true. Sometimes. Because if that passage was true all the time, then Jesus would not have sent his disciples off into the world. He would have said, stay in Jerusalem and stay. Don't go out into all the world and don't make disciples of every nation because bad company corrupts good character. Stay away, shelter, huddle, hide, build an underground bunker and stay away from the world because it's gross. That's what Jesus would say. And you and I would close the doors and close the windows and we'd hide here and we'd be like, don't call your friends and tell them about church. Tell them to stay away. But Jesus didn't do that. In fact, Jesus pushes us out. In his power, in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, go out into all the world. Go to all the dark places. Go to every corner. Go to the street corners and every place where you might find the people that I love. 
Go to all those places. And Jesus says things like, I'm going to be with you always. I'll be with you always. In my name, you're going to do amazing things. You're going to go to amazing places. He says, wait for the Holy Spirit. And once you get filled with the Holy Spirit, then go be my witnesses in all the world. Jesus, in fact, prays for us. He says, my prayer is not that you take them, that's us, out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So as we go out into the world, that we will be protected in all the places we go. The plan of Jesus is to send us out into the world, into the unclean places, to bring his presence to every dark corner of the world. And yes, that gives us the opportunity for bad company to corrupt good character, but it also gives the opportunity for the dirt to become glovey, just like every single one of us have become. And John tells us in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. See, we're meant to be out there in the world, but not of the world. Gloves interacting with the dirt. It's a terrible illustration, isn't it? It's terrible when you think about it. Because we're really just one unclean person reaching out to another unclean person, telling them where the shower is. Come and see Jesus, who changes everything. My friends, how would the world nickname you today? They call Jesus a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, guilty by association. Sadly to say, the church has often been seen as the gathering of the holy rollers who hide behind walls, shut off from our communities. But I wonder if it wouldn't just make Jesus so happy if they began to call us something similar to what they called him. And maybe not gluttons or drunkards, but certainly friends of the fringe groups, friends of the ones society has often looked down upon or pushed to the edges, friends of the isolated, friends of the disenfranchised, friends of the vulnerable. Not in a way that, that strips us of our love for Jesus, but in a way that is driven by our love for Jesus. So that the world, our community, our neighbors would know the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ. Jesus was known as a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Let's be like Jesus. We're going to move into communion now. I love communion for today's message because there's a recognition of community in communion. Communion is a remembrance of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The, the grape juice represents his shed blood. The cracker represents his broken body. Jesus died a, a real death on the cross to, to, to make us clean, to offer us forgiveness, to defeat death, to give us hope so that we can have a friendship with God. Are you a friend of God today? Have you put your trust in Jesus today? Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead for you and for I so that we could be a friend of Jesus. Have you accepted Jesus into your life today? And you can do that right now. If you've never received Jesus into your life right now, if you've never received Jesus into your life before today, do it today. Everybody just bow your heads for a moment. 
If you want to accept Jesus into your life for the first time today, I just want you to pray in your head a simple prayer like this. Jesus, I accept you into my life right now. Come and make me clean. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the dead for me. Thank you, Jesus, for making me new. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, um, let us know. Talk to one of us. Talk to, there's going to be some prayer people up here at the end of the service. Tell them that you've accepted Jesus into your life for the first time. We want to celebrate with you. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.